Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. The world is filled with plenty of noise. Sometimes we may think that God only shows up in dramatic and loud ways. But in this week's installment of Covered, we will discover God comes to us in the calm, and we must be willing to meet him there. Well, this morning, we are going to continue our Lent series, Covered, A Hidden God Revealed. And up to this point, we have read and experienced God showing up covered by, quite frankly, very dramatic, very supernatural means, haven't we? The first week, we, we visited God on Sinai, and he, what, he comes covered in a cloud, but that cloud isn't just like, you know, peaceful clouds. We're talking about major storms, lightning, earthquakes, horns blowing, ridiculously dramatic. I'm not saying that God is dramatic, but it is a little dramatic, right? And then the second week, we, we moved into the canvas tabernacle, and God would move into the tabernacle to meet the people of Israel right where they are. He was still covered. And it was still sort of dramatic. You have to do these particular uh, worship liturgies to come into his presence. Or if he was in the tabernacle, it was, you might not even be able to get in there because the cloud was so consuming, right? And then last week, God came through a talking donkey. How many of you have experienced a talking donkey in real life? I'm glad none of you are raising your hand, but if you were, we we would have a discussion. I would really like to hear that. Uh, But quite frankly, it is outside of the natural phenomenons that we experience in the world, right? If God were to show up in any of the three ways of the past three weeks, it would be all over, right? It would be all over the news. Do you know why it would be all over the news? It would probably make it on an ESPN, and Stephen A. Smith would provide some hot take. And even though it's not about sports, he'd still talk about it, right? Our world is all about catching your attention. And how do people catch your attention? Shock and awe. The most amazing images are the things that basically try to hook us into giving our attention to it. And this is not just news. This is podcasts. This is social media. This is uh, movies. This is games. This is all the different ways that even commercials. Think about commercials. It's all about that hook. Pay attention. And if God were to show up in these miraculous ways in today, more than likely, it would try to be co-opted by whoever to get our attention. They might even interpret the movement in a very, very, well, um, terrible way. If you ever watch cable news, something happens, a split screen comes up. Right now we have our expert to come on, or our correspondent, or our contributor, right? And they're going to say something, and who who knows if it's actually an accurate analysis or not. They're going to talk about it. They're going to make their take, make their case, spin it. We live in this shock and awe, attention-getting world. 
And sometimes whenever God shows up in those ways, we think, well, maybe that's the only way God gets our attention. The shock and awe. Today, we are going to experience an encounter where God comes in a far different way than he has previously. Previously, shock and awe, supernatural, all of it. Today, he shows up in the calm. We're going to be following the story of the prophet Elijah today. And if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're going to be in 1 Kings 19 if you want to get ready uh, whenever we read the passage. But before we read the passage, I want to catch you up because really, last week, we were all the way back in um, Numbers, well, there's a number of books between Numbers and 1 Kings. So let me give you a very quick story of how it happens, okay? Last week, the Israelites are following the presence of God throughout different lands. Well, guess what? He finally gives them land, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. They get there, they settle down, they become a nation. And in that, God sends leaders to lead them to be faithful in the ways that he wants them to be faithful, okay? Guess what? People are stubborn. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And there are a number of times when leaders don't do what God wants them to do, or the people just full-on reject what God has given them. No. We want things our way. And then it moves into a period of kingdoms where they say, God, everybody else has kings, but we don't. We want kings. And then begins the time of the kingdom. Well, the issue about the time of the kingdom is that more often than not, these leaders would reject what God would want them to do and to do their own thing they would lean into humanity's worst impulses. Take advantage of it, get wealthy, take advantage of neighbors, all of the things that God has not represented up to this point. And it gets to the point where there is a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom, Judah. God doesn't leave the people even though they keep on saying, no God, we can manage ourselves. You ever feel like we say that same thing? God, I can manage our, we can manage ourselves. So God doesn't give up on them. Even though kings were doing terrible things and leading the people away from God, God was still wanting his people to be his people. So he would send prophets, leaders. They were all men for the most part. Yeah, yeah pretty much all men. And they would come and speak truth to the kings, and speak truth to the kingdoms. Now, oftentimes we think about prophets, and we think of prophecy. Oh, they can tell the future. Here's what prophets did in the Old Testament. They said, hey, come back to God, and if you don't come back to God, something bad's going to happen, which is pretty on par for, like, if you tell your kids, hey, don't touch the stove, it's hot. It's a truth. 
it's not necessarily having this amazing foresight. There was a little bit of foresight involved. But it was always telling them to come back to God. Well, Elijah, this prophet, was tasked with getting the people to turn away from another god called Baal. Baal. Not a bale of hay. Baal, a fertility god. I'll spare you the details of how you worship Baal. It's quite... Mm, yeah. The king of Israel, Ahab, had a wife, a queen named Jezebel. Jezebel loved Baal. She brought prophets and priests and everything possible to get the people of the northern kingdom to worship Baal. Elijah was brought up explicitly to call the people back to God, the God who'd saved them, the God who loved them, the God who provided for them, the God who gave them the land in the first place, the God who gave them leaders. And God was really, really faithful. And still, they were like, eh, I'd prefer this Baal God who, if I do A, I'll get B. A God that is able to be controlled is very, very well tempting, isn't it? If, if you could just do the right thing and God would give you everything that you ever wanted, you sort of want to do that, right? Oh, goodness. Sometimes we treat God this way. But what have we learned through this? God is who He is. He cannot be controlled. You cannot put Him into a box. You cannot do this with Him. And so, this conflict comes to a head. Jezebel gets all of her Baal prophets, and Elijah meets them on the top of Mount Carmel, and they build this big, ginormous altar, a burnable altar. It's intended to be burned with fire. And the Baal prophets and priests do their thing, and they say, come down, Baal, consume this in fire. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Elijah sees this and he, go, he ups the ante. He goes, hey, douse mine in water. Make sure this thing is as unburnable as possible. And then Elijah calls God and God shows up and is faithful. And in this moment, the people of Israel sees this and many turn back to God in the moment. And as those who worship Baal were defeated, well, Elijah gets a little dark and uh, he takes out the prophets and the priests. Guess what? Jezebel wasn't happy about this. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And so she threatens Elijah's life. And Elijah goes on the run. It is in this space where God is going to meet Elijah. And it's in this space that we begin to understand how God shows up in a way different than he did before and what we can learn from it. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 8. Again, Elijah's on the run. He's tired. He just had a night, uh, a good night's sleep. And this is where we meet him. Elijah got up, drank, 
ate and drank, and went refreshed by that food for 40 days and 40 nights until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. Just so you know, Horeb, Sinai, basically seem to be the same mountain, but maybe there's two different peaks. One is Sinai, one is Horeb. Okay, So we're back to where Sinai was. Here we are, we're back. So he goes to Horeb, God's mountain. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. The Lord's word came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant and they have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they want to take my life too. Elijah's not in a good spot, everybody. The Lord said, go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. And after the fire, there was... Or, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound. Thin. Quiet. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat, and he went out and stood at the cave's entrance. And a voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? He said, I've been very passionate for the Lord, God of heavenly forces, because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, and they have torn down your altars, and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they want to take my life too. The Lord said to him, Go back through the desert to Damascus and anoint Hazael as king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, Nimshi's son, as king of Israel, and anoint Elisha from Abel Malola, Shaphat's son, to succeed you as prophet. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have preserved those who remain in Israel, totaling 7,000. All those whose knees haven't bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. At the very beginning of this, Elijah is in a very difficult place. We didn't read these verses, but in the verses previous, Elijah comes to God and says, please just let me die. Elijah is showing signs of burnout and, yes, depression. If you didn't think depression was in Scripture, it's there. And that feeling that he has comes from fear comes from feeling alone and isolated. Because the role of the prophet often is drenched with conflict. The prophet is tasked with going to people who do not want to hear about God. And they talk about God and how to turn back to God. Prophets had a very difficult job. 
prophets still today have a difficult job. Have you ever heard somebody speak truth about where we are? Like, it's, it doesn't even just have to be within the church. It can be within just normal culture. And it's very unpopular. And it's very much, well, you get in trouble for saying it. Guess what? Those prophets often feel like they are alone on an island by themselves, isolated. A lot of our artists are prophets. And it's a wonder why so many of our artists, we lose our artists at young ages due to depression, due to difficulty, due to isolation, due to loneliness. When God asks him, why are you here? Do you hear Elijah say, hey, I'm running for my life because, you know, the thing that you did on Mount Carmel, which was awesome, he's not, he's not in any kind of positive, <laughs> he's not in any kind of positive attitude at all. He says, I am here because no one is doing what they need to be doing. And I'm the only one. You get a sense that that loneliness, that isolation is all he is experiencing. That depression is all that he is Experiencing. He is filled with despair. He is filled with grief. And he's to this point where he's almost willing to end it. There's a whole conversation about how we as people can get wrapped up in what we, are, what we do. And this often leads to that. Your job, your whatever it might be, what you're called to do and we're like this is it and then whenever you're when you fail when you are unsuccessful when you you're in a terrible place there's a whole conversation but we're not here to experience that we're here to experience how does God show up for Elijah and so God's response to Elijah in the midst of his most difficult moments in the moments where he is willing to end things Maybe you can relate with Elijah a little bit. Our failures and our conflicts and being misunderstood can lead us feeling so isolated and alone, we become willing to end things. That could be our relationships with others. It could be our jobs. It can be, in Elijah's moment, life. Our minds can lead us to dark places. But God meets him in this. And God doesn't say, hey, how dare you think like that? You don't, you don't hear God criticize him. You don't hear God rebuke him. You don't hear God do any of the things. Rather, God shows up and says, hey, you need to sleep. And all the people who love to sleep said, amen. And then he says, hey, you need to eat. And all of us people who love food said, amen. And then he goes, no, you need to sleep again. Okay. And then you need to eat again. And then you need to go to this mountain where I'm going to meet you. And as he gets to the mountain, he's still in the same spot. And God says, I am going to come to you. God meets you where you are no matter how dark your mind is. No matter how deep of grief you feel. No matter how much despair that you feel. 
God will meet you where you are. And in His love, He does not rebuke you. He does not criticize you. He helps you to move forward. And so He says, I'm going to go meet you. And this is when God shows up covered in something that He has not been covered before. There's a wind. <gasps> maybe that's God. Nope, not God. There's an earthquake. Oh, maybe that's God. Nope, no, Him. There's a fire. Nope. Go back to that verse where it says the thin quiet. I think it's verse... Uh, 12. Verse 12. After these three things, there was a sound. Thin, quiet. A lot of us would say that silence is the absence of sound. This silence is so deafening, it has its own sound. Do you understand that? You and I have no idea what true silence is. Listen. You hear heaters. You hear lights. You hear air purifiers. When you go home, there is no such thing as silence in your home. Your fridge is running. Your lights make a sound. The outdoors make sounds. Birds and factories. We live in a world of noise. Continuous noise. What, this, what the language is saying here is legitimately the sound of silence. Some of you are thinking of Simon Garfunkel right now. If you're a kid or a young adult, you're like, huh? Did you know that they have created an anti-sound chamber. That's, that's, I don't want to actually say the real word or whichever because I can't say it. But it's in Minnesota. Okay? It legitimately removes all sound to the point that the decibels are negative nine decibels. They have put people into this chamber. And you know what? The longest anybody has been able to tolerate it is 30 to 40 minutes. Like, literally, like, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. There's no sound at all. That's the kind of calm God has brought to Elijah in this moment. It is not the loud, dramatic, forceful cloud or fire or earthquake. God shows up in pure stillness, in a complete calm after the storm. In complete and utter silence. And then he speaks. And then he speaks. Shauna Gaines says this about speaking in the midst of the stillness. God speaks in the pregnant pause. I love that word. Pregnant pause. 
the liminal space in the midst of the ruckus of a chaotic world. And in this quiet, he asks Elijah, why are you here again? Where are you? How are you? Where are you at, Elijah? And Elijah's still in the same spot. But then after the fact, he begins to tell him what he needs to do. And it's not spectacular. He's not going to go to another mountain and call down fire again. He's going to go find some people to continue the work of God. It's a very humbling moment. And then afterwards, he goes, hey, just so you know, Elijah, there's 7,000 people in the kingdom who aren't following Baal. You're not alone. You're okay. I'm not going to ask for your life right now. You're too important to me. I love you. Go forward and find these men to do my work. I know you're tired but I am with you, you are not alone, and there are others who are with you. But let's really be honest about this. We can really feel, we can relate with where Elijah is. We can. Even if we're not prophets, we can relate. But I think the one thing that's really difficult for us is hearing that God shows up in the calm, in the silence, in the stillness. Because we as people love noise. We're conditioned by it. We are. Even if I were to just stop talking, for an entire minute right now. Some of you would get antsy. You're already antsy, some of you are. The silence, the quiet, the calm, honestly, can make us very, very uncomfortable because we are so conditioned to look at the shock and the awe, some things in the world. That we are to look at the craziness and the unbelievable and the chaos. Everything in our culture draws us to those things. But quiet? If it gets too quiet, I might start to reflect that I'm not the best person in the world or my inadequacies might show up. That's what makes us so uncomfortable about silence, friends. Calm and the stillness and the silence are uncomfortable and our thoughts about our inadequacies can creep in. But we have to remember that in Elijah's most darkest moment, silence can be where God, when God speaks the most clearly to us when we come to Him in prayer and meditation. Turn off the music. Turn off the podcast. Turn off the news, the noise. Don't open that book. I know books don't make sounds, but they make sounds in your head, (laughs) y'all. 
We must go to God on a regular basis, a daily basis, in prayer and in silence, and allow Him to re- for us to receive Him and what He is saying to us. Now, you might think to yourself, how do I know that I'm encountering God in the silence? Am I going to hear an audible voice? There are people who have been faithful to God their entire lives and have never heard an audible voice. There are some who say that they hear God all the time. I'm not here to have that debate. Here's how you know if you have encountered God in the silence. And our sister Shauna says it so perfectly. Hearing the voice of God always redirects our focus away from navel-gazing and back to the work of salvation God is enacting in the world. You ever heard navel-gazing before? Oh, look at my belly button. You become obsessed with who? Yourself. You know that you encounter God when He begins to readjust you. If you're going to God to say, hey, God, confirm to me that I am right about everything, you are not going into the silence to encounter God. You are going into the silence to talk yourself into whatever you would like. Prayer often sounds like to us all about just, hey God, would you take care of this and would you take care of this? Yes. It's voicing these things, but it's also allowing to have a pause for God to maybe move us out of that prayer to doing the things that He wants us to do. It's like that old African proverb that I say almost every other week. When you pray... Pray with your feet. So you're not going to focus on yourself. God is going to direct you to what He is doing in your world, in your life, within you, in the people around you, and in the people that you don't expect. God, covered in the calm, allows us to be prepared to live faithfully to Him everywhere we go, with all the people that we meet, and in all times. For Elijah, what he needed to hear was this. Elijah, you aren't alone. Elijah, I know you want it all to end, but this is not where it ends. Go. You are not alone. Find these who will enact my will. And sure enough, Elijah goes. If God can speak to a person who is at the end of their rope in that moment, He can speak to you in any season. In a just normal day. In a difficult day. In a joyful day. But we must Turn off the noise. We must intentionally make space for silence so that God can show us the way forward, friends. Because I'm here to tell you, if Elijah wouldn't have met God in that moment, maybe he would have been tempted to just go back and fight more. 
And Jezebel would have just done. God's work is stopped for the moment. There's no understanding of who's going to be the next leader. All those different kinds of things. It's sort of like whenever you get into a conflict with somebody else. How many of us in conflict just talk, 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 talk? Any of you like me? Come on. Be honest. Thank you, David. I appreciate you. I'm not alone. Sometimes it's important to stop talking, to become calm, to be readjusted, to go to God, and to allow Him to guide us in what we speak. It's not just in our relationships with God, it's in our relationships with each other. Somebody says something that drives you nuts. Lord, help me to say the words that you want me to say. Sometimes it means just to be quiet. (laughs) Friends, this is why it's so important. In our own lives, we need to enter into silence to encounter God so we can be readjusted in the loud, chaotic world we live in. So make it a spiritual discipline, friends, to not have news on 24-7 in your house. Those will be the voices that come out of your mouth more than God. It's okay to turn the radio off. I'm not the most optimistic person in the world. I can't listen to the DJs of our Christian radio stations. They're just so happy. It just turns me off immediately. I'm just like, oh, goodness gracious. Sometimes that can be toxic positivity is a thing, y'all, where we minimize the difficulties we're in. It's good to make space for the calm and the silence. To close, I have this story. At first, I thought about talking about my life as an extrovert, but then that would leave all you introverts like, I don't understand what he's saying. So I thought of another story. When the 4th of July holiday comes around, our household is very, very well on edge because we have a wonderful 95-pound ball of fur and love named Maverick. And Maverick does not like fireworks. And because we live where we live, 4th of July is apparently seven days. (laughs) But I can't tell you how often we're we have some folks over for a fire or whatever it might be, and Maverick's just doing his own thing. But as soon as one little pop, and I'm not even saying it's in the neighborhood, it's somewhere off, he, goes, he makes a beeline straight for the door. He's terrified. Because dogs have more sensitive hearing than us. And for him, all he can hear is that boom that's far bigger than what you and I experience it. He goes straight to the door, and he wants to go one of two places. He wants to go to his safe space, his crate, or down in the basement, where if you have a finished basement, it's amazing how much that takes a lot of the sound away. 
In fact, a lot of times during this week, I hang out with Maverick in the basement until like midnight. I have to because he's just so everywhere. He, you know, he's just so scared. And when I think about our, our propensity, our typical, let's go to the noise, let's go to this voice, let's hear this person out, let's go to this show or this news network or whatever it is, I can't help but think we're like Maverick. When the noise is going, the fear creeps in. And instead of living lives as God wants us to live, we're beginning to live lives in the fear that so many people are pushing upon us because they wanted our attention. I can't tell you how often it's It hurts to hear people who say, I believe in Jesus, but they act so afraid of A, B, C, or D. And you know how you know somebody's afraid? If they have to make an enemy of somebody. We make enemies when we're afraid. For Maverick, the fireworks are his enemies. For us, Look at the different enemies that people like to make. And if we are listening to the voices, we will end up not living as God wants us to live. So we've got to shut it off. We have to turn down the volume. We need to seek Him in prayer and meditation daily. Momentarily. You're at work and the person who bugs you like crazy says something, Take that moment just go, Lord, you're with me. Help me to be as you want me to be. Find that silence. And allow God to lead you forward. Friends, may we, as God's people, be willing to make space for calm and silence with God. To enable us to speak and to live and to act in the ways that he wants us to live and for us to see how he is working in the world around us. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you are inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.